This is the Lions Edge, presented by BetMGM. Andrew Doughty and Chase Kitty, week one of Super Bowl coverage. As of tonight, we are talking on Wednesday night, February 2nd, 11 days out from the Super Bowl. More than 250 bets are available right now on that BetMGM Sportsbook app, the BetMGM.com desktop website. And we have not talked since conference championship weekend. Our last episode was last Thursday. We have not talked about this spread. Uh, I can't remember last year if we had this much line movement with a spread right off the bat. Right now, it had moved to Rams minus four and a half, opened at three and a half, went to four, and then four and a half. You aggressively took the Rams immediately at three and a half on Sunday night. I also took it, but I didn't think it was. And you can explain why you loved it so much. I didn't seem to think it was as crazy awesome of a number that you did. And as of now, some nice potential closing line value for us if it stays at that four and a half or continues going up. Right now, 76% of the money, and this across multiple books, is on the Rams, coming from only 55% of the tickets. So obviously some big bets there. And we're still, again, 11 days out. Most of this money is going to come in the last couple of days anyways. But some big, big exposure on the Rams across different books. I'm happy with this position at the Rams at three and a half. This isn't a huge play for me, though. Uh, You seemed very pleased with it. You mentioned before we hopped on right now that you actually woke up again. I think it was on Monday and took them at four. Why are you so fired up about this? Let's just talk about the three and a half. Why did you take that right away? First of all, just my instincts Sunday night were like, that's that's a Rams side. And, you know, my 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 MO during these playoffs, as a lot of professionals MO, is it's, hey, right out of the gate, get money down on an opening position. Follow your gut, like read the number, and put money down right away. So, and, and you know, you have low limits early in the week right after the line's open because the, the sports book doesn't want to get slaughtered just coming out of the gate if their number is off. I'm not out there betting. You know, my days of coming in and betting five grand on a Super Bowl are kind of over. Like, I don't do that anymore. It's, I come in, I bet one unit right out of the gate on Rams minus three and a half. And my thought process was, don't overthink this. You have a team like the Bengals and what they have done, particularly in the second half of games in the playoffs. Pretty awesome, right? But it is well known that their offensive line is not great. You can look at their their pass pro numbers. They're not good. They are going up against what I would argue is literally the worst matchup in the NFL for a bad offensive line. They have to block Aaron Donald. They have to block Von Miller. They have to block all of the pressure that that Rams offense or uh, the, the Rams defense is going to bring on top of Joe Burrow. So I think that's a big reason why so much professional money has come in so quickly on the Rams. I think an underrated part of it, which I which I wrote about a little bit this week and will probably write more about uh, between now and the Super Bowl, is the, the Ogunjobi piece of it, where, hey, it's not just the Rams' defensive line against the Bengals' offensive line. It's how Sean McVay's run game is going to run against a Bengals' defensive front that... They've been good for most of the year, but since Ogunjobi went out in that Raiders game, they've allowed five yards a carry or worse to all three playoff teams that they've played. And when you consider that, and the Raiders, it was like 7.8 yards per carry. 
when you consider that, it's kind of amazing they're in this game to begin with. And they got some they got some help, I would say. Uh, I, I want to be fair to the Bengals. It's really cool that they're in the Super Bowl. It's an awesome story. But some of the numbers that they have allowed in these playoffs, you don't keep winning without your the opponents you're playing screwing things up. And that's clearly true of Tannehill and the Titans in the divisional round. Clearly true of everything that the Chiefs and specifically Mahomes did in the second half of last week's game. So matchup-wise, I think both sides of the ball actually favors the Rams, which is, I think, what my gut was telling me and my brain had to catch up there. I put money down on the Rams at 3.5. I put money down the next day after I had the chance to sleep on it at Rams minus 4. I put money down on Rams first half minus 2.5 because, like I said, even by the Bengals' own admission, they've been kind of a second-half team that that needs to get into the flow of the game, needs to make adjustments. Uh, this is uh, Those are the positions I have. We can also talk, I think, props later about one prop that I've already bet. But in terms of just the the more straightforward game positions, that's what I've got. It's it's three units down so far, two on just the Rams straight point spread play, and then one on uh, Rams first half. Yeah, we'll get to bets that we've taken so far. I've only taken one other bet in addition to that Rams at three and a half. I think you mentioned you've taken a few uh, props, including that Matthew Stafford one. Uh, going back to... I mean, I agree with you. I'm not overthinking this. A lot of what I would say, which I'll just say because I said it last week uh, on Twitter Spaces. I also said last week on the podcast why I took the Rams against the Niners, even though they didn't cover that three and a half. I was very comfortable with that handicap. You don't have the interception by Stafford in the end zone. And and like I said last week, when it's it's a dangerous game to play when you're just wiping plays out of games because that's what happens in the NFL. But I watched that game and the Rams looked about as good as I expected them to. And the 49ers looked about as uh, mediocre as I expected them to. So I was comfortable with my handicap there. I missed that by half a point. I missed the mix in uh, uh, receiving yards by half a yard too. But anyways, going going back to what you said about, I don't want to like crush the Bengals, but when you've gotten four tipped interceptions in two games. Yeah, it's wild, man. If you got three, you're not here right now. More more than likely. I mean, maybe if if the, the interception overtime, if that's tipped and they don't intercept it and the Chiefs end up punting it away because I believe that was third down anyways, if they ended up punting it away, there's only a difference of 15 yards. Maybe they go down and kick a field goal anyways. I don't know, but there's a very good chance that if you only get three of those tipped interceptions, you're not here. If you only get two, you're probably definitely not here and then one and zero. So you're not going to have over a 17-game season, you're not going to have 34 interceptions, let alone 34 tipped interceptions. So I feel like when you're doing that, you're kind of playing with fire a little bit. And I completely agree with you. I don't want to overthink this. I'm not going to get into what I said last week about the Niners. I think this is a better team. I could not agree with you more on the offensive line stuff. I think a lot of the time there are inaccurate narratives about things like offensive line play, about things like the secondary it's so complicated, and people just way oversimplify it. Do you remember when Josh Norman exploded? You probably do, because like Ryan Rosilla was among the guys that kind of made that happen. They had Josh Norman on super early in whatever season that was, when everybody just lost their mind over him. I think 2013, 2014. Yeah, I don't, whenever that was, him and Canal or him and SVP had him on the show. And after that, it just became this thing where Josh Norman is the best cornerback in the NFL. Josh Norman was good that year, but I don't... Who's watching cornerbacks? You can't see it on TV, 
and the average fan isn't going and watching the All-22 film. Nobody is doing that. And I get that the offensive line is in the screen, but nobody is watching every single offensive lineman. I mean, most analysts aren't even doing that. So I get the point being is that when you give up, what was it, nine sacks in that Titans game, eight or nine sacks, when you give up eight or nine sacks in a very high-profile game watched by millions of people, narratives kind of get out of control. In the case of the Bengals, it is this bad. Like you, you just focus on their offensive line from those two games, and it is that bad. The numbers support it. The advanced stats support it. The DVOA support it. So I'm with you. I haven't really even dug that much into this game because I knew I was going to take the Rams. I thought the number might open at four and a half. Therefore, the three and a half kind of made me wonder if something might be going on. Odds are it will either increase my position or I'll join you on the two and a half for the first half. But couldn't agree with you more. I'm not overthinking this. I'm on the Rams. I feel pretty good about this. Uh, anything else in the spread before we get into some other stuff here? No, let's talk props. One thing that maybe really quickly here, the one thing that we mentioned, I remember last year, maybe we'll mention it next week again, is that the Super Bowl spread doesn't come into play like ever. Yeah, almost never. It's it's like three of the last 20 years. I mean, it's not a lot. I, I should have grabbed this before we hopped on, but I remember talking about this exactly, it's the exact same thing last year. Last year, yep. Saying that the Cardinals-Steelers Super Bowl from 2009, the 2009 season, so what, 12 years ago? That was the last game, and I'll look it up after the show or somebody somebody ping us on Twitter at the Lions Edge that there was one before then. But for how much that we and everybody else fixate over every half a point in sports, particularly the NFL, it usually doesn't matter. In the Super Bowl, it hasn't come close to mattering. Not only has it not come into play for the last 12 years, if I am right about that, going back to the Steelers Cardinals, it is not even close. Obviously, last year it was the spread was gone like in the second quarter. Most spreads are nowhere near being in play. Anyways, let's talk about bets that we've taken so far. Uh, we're both on the Rams. You mentioned to me that you have a Stafford bet. What is that? What did you take so far? So I took Matthew Stafford under 35 and a half passing attempts. And there were a couple reasons why I had this lined up early. So I, I'm I'm in the middle of doing a lot of prop research, and I'm sure we're going to come back, you and me, next week, uh, the Thursday before the Super Bowl, 72 hours out. We're just going to unload a shitload of just props after props after props and positions and all this stuff. But this is one I took early. This is the only one I've taken so far, and it's the under on the passing attempts. So to lay out a couple of stats here for you. Stafford, over the last two games, the championship game against the 49ers and then the NFC Divisional game in Tampa, he passed the ball 83 times combined, right? That's a lot of passes. And the reason being uh, in this past week's game was a lot because of game script. They only led the, the Rams. The Rams only led that game for about five minutes. It was like four minutes and 20 seconds or something like that. Uh they trailed for a lot of the second half. They trailed for about half of the second quarter. And they just, they had to pass the ball to get back in the game. And that ends up being why they win is, is because of Stafford. I, I don't, I think McVay actually didn't call a very good game. Uh, in Tampa, it's, it's not so much game script because they were leading for almost the entire game. But I mean, Anybody that pays attention to the NFL can tell you that Tampa's run defense, you just don't want to mess with it. It's its too good, and their pass defense was much more vulnerable, uh, and all the DVOA stuff backs that up. So 
the the it was not about game script. It was about game strategy. The game plan going in was, hey, we got to throw the ball. So I think coming into this game, it, it's one where I, I don't expect either one of those things to necessarily be true. I talked about Cincinnati's run defense. I think Sean McVay is going to come into this game hardcore 1970s established the run. I think they're going to run the ball right at him. I, th- I think downstream of this, you should be looking at the Cam Akers props. You should be looking at the Sony Michelle props. But for this, I was thinking, you know, I just don't see them trying to pass the ball a ton. And I don't see them, you know, trailing late in the game where they got to pass, pass, pass all the time. I think this profile is much more like the wild card game against the Cardinals where they're going to lead for a lot of the time. And Stafford throws 17 pass attempts in that game. Compare that to the 83 through the past two weeks. I just think it's not even going to be close to 35 and a half passing attempts. I think they're going to try to run the ball. So I didn't even wait for next week. I came in early on this. And uh, I, I'm also looking at the uh, under the, the interceptions prop for Stafford, the under 0.5 interceptions. Uh, it's currently plus 110 last time I looked. So I like that as well, just because I think they're managing risk really well. And like I said, I think they're going to take the ball out of Stafford's hands. So that's a solid play as well. And I would look at parlaying those two together because they're correlated. The, the fact that you know Stafford passes left uh, passes less in this game inherently correlates to the idea that he has less risk of throwing an interception. And I mean, how many tip ball INTs can the Bengals really get? You already covered that. So it, it, it feels like maybe some some pick regression, even with all the, the fortunate bounces that the Bengals had, they're net zero in turnover margin uh, on the season. So kind of middle of the pack there. I would be looking definitely to play the under on the passing attempts for Stafford. And then if you're feeling ballsy enough, go ahead and take the under on the 0.5 interceptions, and then you parlay those together uh, for a third bet at plus 310. I'm having a really hard time getting a read on that under. I was looking at that before we hopped on today, or I guess the over or the under in Stafford pass attempts, because, I mean, you kind of got into game scripts a little bit. I want to dig more into that, because even though you said you think this game will be more like the Cardinals wildcard game, I agree that I like the Rams to get up early in this game. I don't think it's going to be the bloodbath like that was. I mean, that game felt like it was over. Eight sure, minutes not in. to that extent. No. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm just having a hard time going back through and finding a game where I think that it has a similar game script to what this will be. I think you can maybe go back to that Vikings game uh, where they won by seven. They had the punt return or punt return or kick return touchdown or defense touchdown. I can't remember. That was back in week 16. I think you either have to go back to that or a little bit before that. So I want to do some more digging and just and find a game script that I think will be more similar to this. Like, for example, in that Vikings game, Stafford only had 197 yards, but he had 37 pass attempts. So I want to go back and look through uh, which games might resemble this game more. But I, I am leaning toward the under there. You're not going to have to pay as big of a price. The over is minus the 125. Uh, talk about for Joe Burrow, you're paying minus 130 if you want to go over 36 and a half, uh, the under plus 100 for him. I probably want to circle back to both of those props uh, next week's episode. I had this Higgins prop that I've been itching to talk about for a couple days. Under 24 and a half longest reception. Higgins had 11 receptions of at least 25 yards this season. Okay. They came against seven different teams. 
He had two against the Chiefs, two against the Jets, two against the Chargers, two against the Niners, one against Baltimore, one against Pittsburgh, and one against the Vikings. Ten of those 11 receptions of at least 25 yards came against teams ranked 15th or worst DVOA deep passes. That's a pass of at least 15 yards. Six of those 11 receptions came against DVOA 24th or worse. The Rams are second in DVOA against deep passes, again, 15 yards or more. They allowed only 25 deep passes of at least 25 yards. I'm Deep passes, you can't see me, are in quotation marks. So not short passes where the player ran like Debo Samuel did last week. Do you follow me? I do. Why that matters is because only two of Higgins' 11 receptions of at least 25 yards were, quote, short passes. Only three of Higgins' deep passes also came in the left side of the field. The other eight were in the middle or to the right side of the field. The Rams were especially good at limiting the deep ball in the middle and to the right. Way better than to the left. Higgins under 24 and a half for the longest reception is an absolute steal here at even money. I cannot believe that it's priced at this. I thought it would be somewhere around 21 and a half or 22 and a half. I had a feeling that there might be some Higgins opportunities coming into this game because everybody saw the clutch uh, clutch catches he had against the Chiefs. I did not expect this. I'm going to take a look at other Higgins bets because even though I expect him to have a decent game opposite Chase, and we'll see what they do with Ramsey, but Higgins under 24 and a half is an absolute steal. I, first of all, great analysis for a prop. I mean, that's very nicely done. Um, I I feel like the under, I mean, I'm not going to, I don't feel like going against Jamar Chase, but I feel like the under for any Cincinnati receiver on, on stuff like longest re- reception or... Uh, it really anything outside is probably attackable here. I it just feels to me like Cincinnati. I mean, I'm really going all in. I think on my idea of what this game is going to look like, but it feels like Cincinnati's going to have to dump a lot of stuff off. It feels like it's going to be a lot of screens and a lot of I gotta throw this out to the running back in the flat because I'm about to get killed by one of these pass rushers. It just it it feels to me like that's the way to attack this. Uh, Mixing over on receptions or stuff to the slot, or, or that's I think where I would be looking to attack if if I'm looking at Cincinnati uh, over props in, in the passing game and for the receivers. Uh, Higgins, I, I think, uh, is not where I would be looking. I'm a little bummed that, and I might go back to the while I'm mixing. I want to do some more digging again. I missed that by a half a yard last week. I'd hit it the previous week. There's a prop where it's uh, receptions made five plus receptions. And right now the book only has uh, cup chase Higgins and Beckham listed. I kind of want them to put mix in there. And I'm very curious what the price is on that going off of what you said. I think I, in, in terms of, can they get the ball downfield? I think that actually applies to Mixon too, in terms of longest rush. Uh, right now, the over on 13 and a half priced at minus 120. Uh, I don't think that's the right side of this at all. The under, you can get it at minus 110 for 13 and a half with how well the Rams do on the second level. And I get that when you think of the Rams, you're thinking of you know that front four, but they don't really allow people to get beyond the second level if they do get to the second level. I mean, you're talking about a, a 13 and a half, well, I guess, well, a 14 yard rush. I'm not sure I see that happening. I agree with you. I think we're going to see a lot of dump-offs. We're going to see a lot of 
screens. Maybe we see some jet sweeps, but I might kind of go full ham on some of these, uh, quote, explosive play props that we have here. I'll tell you anything else. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned like you'd like to see numbers for one particular prop. The one I want to see is Sony Michelle. I I don't we don't have yet a uh, a Sony Michelle rushing yards prop uh, at BetMGM. I imagine that number is coming. Uh, What do you think it'll be posted at? I don't know. Cam Akers is at 62 and a half right now, and I'm guessing that is priced a little. It's a little overpriced on purpose. Uh, I want to see the Michelle number because I feel like just like Acres is overpriced, I feel like Michelle's going to be underpriced. 35, and 36. You, well, you know he's going to get a couple of series in the second half. A couple of like, hey, change it up. Let's give Acres a breather kind of kind of possessions that he's going to get, which is why another thing I was looking at was uh, Sony Michelle uh, anytime touchdown at plus 200, which is way different than Cam Akers anytime touchdown, which was like plus 110. Uh, I actually was looking, which is kind of ridiculous, and I almost never bet stuff like this. I was looking at the odds for Sony Michelle last touchdown scored, and it's plus you okay. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? But it's it's plus nine hundred, and my thought process being, what if he, you know, it's it's the fourth quarter, it's a kill the clock drive. They've got Sony Michelle in, or, or maybe they're switching them both out, and he gets in, and then. You know, the Bengals are now down, let's say, 16, and it's end zone or bust for them. There's not going to be a field goal. There's not going to be a punt, uh, and, and it's, it stalls out. They go for it on fourth. They don't get it. I could just – I could see that being, you know, the last touchdown with 11 minutes left in the game, something like that. So I, I thought, you know, I, I said this last year. I'll say it again. The Super Bowl is one of those things I, I take gambling about as seriously as anyone, right? It is a money-making operation. I'm here for advantage. The Super Bowl is kind of one of the only times where I'm like, yeah, have a little fun with it. And I think that could be a way to have a little fun with it while also applying there is a sort of logic there. All right, let's talk ATP Cordova. I put out a little thing, uh, a little social thing earlier in the week. Gave you a little early winner here. In the South American swing, looking at ATB Cordova, which is a clay court tournament that's sort of pre-clay season. Uh, these are early Thursday matches, so hopefully you are listening to this early. If not, I'm going to tell you, you can always get these picks early by following me on the Action app. I always have these things up hours and hours and sometimes days in advance. So if, if you're coming to this at a little late and you're thinking, man, I really would have liked to have had these picks a little earlier, I couldn't get to the podcast in time, I would definitely encourage you to go look me up on action because all these plays are posted in advance. First one I'm looking at, Albert Ramos Vindas, minus 145. He's actually plus 155 to win uh, in straight sets. He is playing Juan Pablo Varelas and... I don't really know why this game is so tightly handicapped because when you look at uh, at Ramos Vendas, he is a Spaniard that's good on clay. And it feels to me a little bit like this is priced incorrectly. Almost like, uh, you know, I mean, look, marketplace, blah, 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 I get it. But when you look at what these guys have done recently, our underdog here, Juan Pablo Varias, he is more of a hardcore guy or even an all-surfaces guy, uh, and he is going to play a clay guy on clay who's who's specifically good on clay. 
I feel like 145 is too affordable for a clay specialist playing on clay. Uh, and then, of course, Varias, he's outside of the top 100. He struggles to beat top 150 guys. He is playing a guy ranked 44. So just everything about this, it, it I almost like initially leaned the other way because it seemed suspiciously low priced. Uh, but I, I think this is just the book getting something wrong. Maybe the book not factoring in court specialities since this is a clay tournament that's not really in clay season. Uh, I would look at, uh, like I mentioned there, the, uh, the plus 155 price for the favorite winning in straight sets. That is how I'm choosing to bet this uh, on top of just the, the straight match win. So that's the first one I'm looking at. And then a couple of, uh, couple of let's say, underdogs or even odds here. Uh, Carlos Taberner, he is another clay court guy that is being way undervalued at plus 105 playing against Alejandro Tabilo. Uh, this is, again, uh, ATV Cordoba. So finding undervalued clay guys matters. And uh, Taberner is definitely a clay guy. Probably my favorite play of the day at plus 105. He's going to win that even though he is uh, supposedly the underdog. I, I think probably, I, I don't want to say the wrong player is favored, but uh, the the favored player is not the better player. I guess I'll say it that way. And then uh, probably the most high-profile match of the three of these that I'm looking at, Christian Guerin, who is a top 20 player, uh, South American kid, uh, very young, had a, uh, had a good outing here just at the Australian Open, lost to eventual champion Nadal. I actually wrote a little uh, piece on why I thought Guerin would upset Nadal in the middle of the tournament. Like I said, top 20 player, and yet he is basically even odds against Sebastian Baez. Uh, and it's because Baez is, has pretty nice form right now. I mean, Garen looks okay right now. He looks decent. Baez has great form. He is a very strong clay court winner. He just had a top 40 win uh, earlier last month in Australia. Uh, he won two clay tournaments. I believe they were in South America last fall. He finished in the final match of two more clay tournaments last fall. So this is a guy, he's just playing really well the last four or five months. Not a lot of extended time off, unlike Christian Guerin. And I think that explains why he is actually just a slight, slight, slight favorite over Christian Guerin, a player who is ranked much more highly than he is. Uh, Christian Guerin, 18, and then Baez is like in the 70s or 80s right now. Uh, and then last I looked, Garen was minus 110, Baez minus 115. So I would definitely roll with Baez there. I feel that he is playing really strongly right now, and the odds kind of speak for themselves. Uh, you're not usually going to have a, a player with that much of a ranking difference basically have even odds against a guy like Christian Garen that's not just highly ranked but kind of publicly known. You know, once you get past the top 30 or 40 players in ATP, a lot of those guys aren't really recognizable names unless you are really in the weeds of tennis. Christian Guerin is a known guy and he's playing in South America as a South American. Uh, so you would think that he would not be handicapped this lowly, but he is. And I think that's a big signal that Baez is the right side. I want to run something by you because even though we still have football going on, even though we're still, what are we, five, six weeks away from Selection Sunday, it feels like without football this week, and you'll probably have a lot of people tuning into college basketball that really haven't been tuning in for the last three months. We hear it every year that people don't pay attention to college basketball until March. I want to run something by you, something that I looked up. Uh, it was back early November. I think it was the first week of the college basketball season. 
I wanted to find out how Final Four Cinderella's did the following year against against the spread. So I took the five most recent teams that I, I consider true Cinderella's to make the Final Four. So 2018, uh, Loyola Chicago, 2016, Syracuse, even though it's a high major, still very much consider them to be a Cinderella that year in 2016. Wichita State 2013, uh, your VCU Rams in 2011, and then George Mason 2006. Of those five teams, only Wichita State had a better regular season ATS record the next season. Three teams had dramatic drops, and I'm talking drops of 20 percentage points in their ATS record. VCU, Loyola, and George Mason. Syracuse dipped a little, and then again, Wichita State went up. They were a phenomenal ATS team in 2013-2014. I wanted to look at that because we had a team last year make the Cinderella run in UCLA. They went 12-13 and 13 ATS in the regular season last year. This year they are a, I can't believe I just lost it, 9-8-1 ATS, obviously all in the regular season. And we've kind of had this conversation in, in different sports. We've talked about the post-success fade in different sports tons of different times but I think the conversation particularly for the NFL is just different than college basketball because the average college basketball fan doesn't know what UCLA lost or gained from last year they didn't know their players until they made the run whereas the average NFL fan knows what for example what the Bengals will lose and gain this offseason after the playoff run would you agree with me that the average and casual NFL fan is more aware of the big moving parts for most teams than the average college basketball fan? Uh, yeah, I would say so. Yeah. yeah. Because of that, these aren't auto fade situations for me, even though that the trends suggest that you should be fading some of these teams. This isn't an auto fade situation for me. What it is, is, Let's keep a closer eye on these teams the following year, especially come February and March, when a lot of fans are tuning into college basketball for the first time, betting on college basketball for the first time. They see that UCLA is playing Oregon State or maybe Washington State is a better example, who's been completely irrelevant since Tony Bennett left, whatever, 15 years ago, 10 or 15 years ago. And that average fan is thinking easy cover up in Pullman without knowing a ton about the actual matchup, what UCLA has back from last year, what they lost from last year, if Washington State is still bad or if they're still good. Do you approach this the same way? Because you've talked a lot about the post-success fade. We talked about it with the Chiefs. They were miserable against the spread uh, for, what, the final 12 or 13 weeks last year. Do you approach this the same way for college basketball, where you think we can take advantage of the time of year where a lot of casual fans are tuning in for the first time and don't actually know anything about UCLA basketball, for example. This is true in the aggregate, right? In broad strokes, big, successful, kind of unexpected tournament runs, whether it is college basketball or the NBA or uh, NFL or really anything, they bring attention. And attention in the gambling marketplace looks a lot like investment and tickets, right? And we talk so much about how the fundamentals of gambling, it's all about marketplace economics. And when you have increased attention somewhere, the sports book 
has to raise how they are handicapping a team, and that's what sets up the ATS drop-off. You might even have a team that sustains what it does into the next year. Like Loyola is a great example. Loyola was still good the next year. They were in position to go on another tournament run the next year. VCU was good for like five years after... I mean, VCU got into a new conference on the back of that tournament run. They are still relevant in the A-10 now. Uh, you know, and I live a mile down the street from the Siegel Center. So I, I like to think that I am pretty tuned into VCU basketball. Uh, it's not necessarily about how good they are following a big tournament run. It's about the increased attention in the marketplace that then raises how a team is handicapped and naturally impacts an ATS record. So that's what it's all about. I can tell you, I, I bet a couple years ago in the, in the bubble NBA tournament, I I correctly handicapped the Miami Heat winning the Eastern Conference. I bet on the, their future like in the middle of the season, and it was a great bet for me. Uh, made a pretty good profit off of it. I want to say I made like 16 units off of it. Uh, I And what I did... Immediately after winning that Miami Heat money, because I hedged off of it and took the Lakers in the finals, immediately after that winning position, I bet the under for, for Miami's win total for the following season. Because it's it's all about the marketplace. The Hawks went on a great run to the Eastern Conference Finals in the NBA tournament last year, in the NBA postseason. Guess what I did this past offseason? Under on the Hawks win total is one of my biggest bets of the NBA uh, futures market. This is what happens. People rely, they put too much stock into postseason runs from previous years. Now, UCLA, I think, uh, it's it's very interesting you brought them up. UCLA, I think, is, is at least a little insulated from this because they're a Power 5 program. And we all know the dynamics with Power 5 teams and college sports. Like, they, they have an inequitable amount of resources relative to their non-Power 5 competition. That makes it a little different than professional sports. Uh, by the way, some, something I should add on to that rant about, like, hey, I took the under on the Miami the next year and, and the Hawks. Guess who? Guess, guess what bet I already have lined up for this NFL offseason? Bengals under. It's coming. If I can find a Bengals finish fourth in the, uh, in the AFC North, I might be taking that as well. So I mean, that number is going to be posted at 11 and a half, 12. Oh, I don't know if it's going to be that high because that's a pretty competitive division. But yeah, I mean, it'll be it'll be 10 and a half probably. It'll be it'll be a high number, and you're just gonna see regression. Like when we talk about luck, like you're rarely lucky like that two years in a row. I'm I'm still not sure that the Bengals have a head coach that's all that good. I mean, I know they have a quarterback that's really good. I know they have a wide receiver that's really good. I don't know how good that head coach is. And so when you have regression on luck, when you have a harder schedule that you have to play, like, this is just how it works. It's just more often than not, you get all this attention and then people want to bet you for the next year. And the things that went your way when people weren't paying attention, then don't go your way when people are paying attention. I don't know if I have anywhere else to take this conversation because. Maybe the point that you didn't touch on is the timing of it, because I mean, we, we've talked a lot about early season betting and that, yes, there are opportunities, but you also need to be very cautious 
I think there were two or three times early in the college football season and early in the NFL season this this year before you gave any bets where you said, be very, very, very careful this week. Yep. There are a lot of weird lines. I don't exactly know how good some of these teams are. And even though that is the case, there are also a lot of opportunities to, in my opinion, at least fade a lot of teams across these different sports. But in terms of the timing of college basketball, I think that across all sports that's similar for early in the season. But in terms of college basketball, because it's a season in which fans that love March Madness and that watch every single March Madness game haven't watched a single game yet. Nope. And we're, what, five or six weeks from March Madness. And I need to do more digging on this. Maybe I'll do a write-up on it. How does the ATS record look the last maybe four weeks of the regular season compared to the first nine weeks of the regular season? Do we see any profitability with fading some of these teams that had remarkable runs? Do I widen the lens? Not only just looking at Final Four Cinderella, should I look at a North Texas this year? Um, should I look at an Abilene Christian this year? Should I look at an Oral Roberts this year? So maybe it's more about widening the lens and not necessarily saying who went to the Final Four because even though everyone knows about UCLA, and you brought up a good point because I had mentioned that Syracuse being a high major, we still consider them a Cinderella, but yes, they are high major. Everybody knows what Syracuse is. Same with UCLA. North Texas probably got as much attention last year as like a UCLA. I know that sounds weird, but... North Texas is upset. Would they? I think they beat Purdue, maybe? Purdue. I can't yeah, remember who they beat. Yeah. 4-13. Yep. I get that they weren't on headlines for as long as UCLA was, but that win, I think, generated so much buzz in term, relative to where they were going into that game. Nobody knew who Grant McCaslin was, the head coach, before that game. Nobody knew that North Texas even had a basketball team before that game, whereas... UCLA was, I don't want to say they're like a commodity because they've been so average since that last Final Four in 2007, I believe. So maybe relative to where they were, maybe it's it's more about looking at an Oral Roberts, looking at an Abilene Christian, it's looking at a North Texas, looking at teams like that and like a Loyola, a Loyola, who nobody knew before, and how does that change the first eight, nine weeks of the season versus the final four or five weeks of the season when somebody looks and says, oh, North Texas is good again this year. I, I need to start betting them because what they did last year when they don't actually know anything about North Texas. Yeah, I, I think the corollary to all this is be careful betting on teams in the tournament a year after they had a big tournament upset because, yeah, I think one of the most consistent you know, winners in terms of March Madness strategy is once, you know, VCU goes on a run, start betting against VCU in the tournament in ensuing years, you know, that kind of thing. Because just just because you had a good matchup or a good series of matchups one year, or you had one great team, doesn't mean your team is automatically going to recapture that success later on. It's it's not, I mean, basketball is so heavily dominated uh, in terms of the fortune of a team by one or two good players. And if they depart or they're not having as good a season, or or they don't have the same role player that was setting them up really well the previous year because they graduated or transferred or whatever. It's just you can make a lot of money fading teams that had success in the past in terms of like a brand marketing idea, and uh, that can be really profitable as well. We'll be back on Thursday. That's the 10th uh, with, like you said, a, a mega drop of Super Bowl odds, picks, trends, everything ahead of Rams-Bengals. Maybe it won't even be like a trends type of thing. Maybe it'll be, let's see how many picks we can make in 40 minutes. I like that. Yep. 
that might be the play. That's Thursday the 10th. Uh, we're also doing a Twitter Spaces. Well, tonight, this will air on, on Thursday, February 3rd. So we'll do a Twitter Spaces from the BetMGM account, but you can also get there from any of our Twitter accounts at Chase AKD, at Dowdy BetMGM, and at the Lions Edge. We'll look at some Super Bowl stuff. That's Thursday night, February 3rd. I believe we're doing it at 7 o'clock Eastern. And then we'll also do a Twitter Spaces uh, day of Super Bowl, maybe the day before the Super Bowl, looking at that final line movement, looking at those handles. If we do have any late bets come in, I know we talked about that a lot last year as we're getting those million-dollar bets in. Which ones do we care about? Do any of them move the needle, etc.? So we'll be back on Thursday the 10th with an episode of The Lion's Edge and then Twitter spaces a couple of times uh, before the Super Bowl. Thank you for listening. We'll see you back here next Thursday.